How are we going, mates? It's Ryan Rowland-Smith. Welcome back to the Top Step Podcast. We have a Mariners Monday edition. We're going to recap the Mariners week and pretty much the whole month of April, what I've seen, the good, the bad, everything in between. Welcome back, Taylor Trammell. We're going to talk about his big grand slam. We're going to talk about those City Connect unis. Your thoughts? I've got a lot of different opinions uh, last couple of days. Um, yeah, everyone chiming in. I'm going to give you my honest feedback here with the unis. Uh, plus, the big team meeting. Scott Service had a team meeting on Saturday night. I'm going to tell you from a player's point of view what goes on in those team meetings, what's important, what is just something you kind of roll your eyes at if you're a player. And I'm going to tell you a couple of stories to some of my classic team meetings as a player. Before we get into all that, make sure you go subscribe. We do Mariners uh, Mariner Mondays. It's a new thing. Every Monday, we do a quick recap. Uh, everything I've seen, a lot of breakdowns, my top performers. And then we have... Grant Balfour, he's joining me every Thursday, hopefully every Thursday, unless he's busy doing all kinds of big league stuff. 10 years in the big leagues, MLB All-Star. You know what? I won't keep him to every Thursday, but he will be here every Thursday. I know he loves it. He loves interacting with everyone here. Uh, Could you get him more on social media? Okay, so before we do all that, make sure you go subscribe. Subscribe to the podcast. It helps the show. Tell your mates. Share some of the good times we have on the show, on your drive to work, your workout. If you're watching on YouTube or you listen on Spotify or Apple, whatever it may be, thanks for joining us. All right, let's get into this Mariners Monday edition of the Top Step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. On the breaking ball, he struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. This is Grant Balfour being Grant Balfour. Yeah. He, he is, as you mentioned, Jim, he's amped up. He talks a lot. In fact, he has the demeanor of a guy that wants to fight you. You'll never say that I'm not killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. Killing them. Kill, kill, killing them. All right, a lot to get to this Monday. It's an off day for the Mariners. They play Oakland, and I know what you're thinking. If they, it's sweep or bust, right? I get it. When you when you're going into a series against a team like the Oakland A's, yeah, they're struggling, but they are big leaguers over there. There's some dudes who can play. All right, so if they take two or three. That's good. They take three, three, great. You know, if they go and get swept or they lose two of those, you're looking at this going, man, okay, I know I'm going to hear about it on, on social media. I always hear about it anytime I give my little, um, my glass half full opinion on a few things. So um, before we get into all that, first of all, massive shout out the Seattle Kraken. Last night I watched, I've been sort of in and out paying attention, but last night, man, I was dialed into every second. I was sitting there on the couch. Loving it, just clinging to that lead at the end. I got that Grubauer fella. I'm telling you right now, mate, he is a stud. He was just taking, he was getting peppered by pucks all over the place. Uh, he was massive. And I love it too, these hockey players, man. They're so humble compared to baseball players or football players, whatever it is. These hockey dudes, man, they're so like, I don't, I don't know what it is. And then in the playoffs, they get just so into it. Oh, man. I, I know everyone gets into it. Every athlete, you know, it's a, it's a highly stressful, um, profession doesn't matter what it is but those hockey players man just awesome anyway so Grubauer's talking after the game and he's just like yeah you know what just calm as calm as can be you could see he had a bit of a grin on his face but I just love their demeanor it's the best all right hey welcome back Taylor Trammell he's been a guest on this show we had a great episode if you haven't listened to it go back and listen to it it was during last year's right before he got injured he's starting to have these breakthroughs he talked all about that what he did the last offseason, what he did, and, and obviously he got got after it this offseason, but good to see him back. First swing he takes, 
It's a grand salami. Can you believe it? To get the Mariners up off Chris Bassett. Tough customer. Gets that change up down. And you can see, too, by the way, Taylor Tremont, if you listen to the episode, he said he actually practices his bat flips. But it's funny, man. His reaction, he hits that ball. He's kind of like looking around like, oh, whoa, whoa, that's gone. He's kind of like surprised himself. Like, this isn't supposed to happen this quick. But I will say this, man. When the team is struggling, they've lost four in a row, and you're in the clubhouse, you're going there every day, you're looking at each other, thinking to yourself, man, like, what is going on? You, you know, you're trying to come up with the answers. There's that really sort of low energy feel when you walk in because everyone's kind of annoyed. Plus, when you're on the road, you're on the plane together, the bus, that's when all those little conversations start happening about what it really is that's going on. Then you get a player like Taylor Trammell. Now, he's not a salty veteran. It's not like he's got 10 years in the big leagues by any means. But after the game, he talked about a couple of things. Number one, he said all his teammates were um, checking in on him uh, after his injury, tr- uh, waiting for him to get back. Tells you a couple. Tells you one thing I'll, I'll get to in a second. Um, and number two, when he comes into the locker room, when you have a new player, even if it's a guy like Taylor Trammell, it's just got you know small amounts of time in the big leagues. When you have that kind of energy, you come in, you're fresh, you're just so excited to be back in the big leagues. And those first couple of steps you take in the clubhouse, you know you're rolling into a situation where they've just lost four in a row, but you're going, you're seeing your friends again where it really matters. And nothing against my friends who go and watch uh, Rainier games at all. Playing in AAA, you're out there playing for yourself. Let's get real. When you get to the big leagues, the, your whole demeanor changes because every little thing you do, it goes to the win and loss as opposed to worrying about your batting average, worrying about if other teams are watching me for a potential trade or any of that kind of stuff. So you get back to that level, you're like, great. That's fun to play for. It's so different to playing in AA and AAA for some of these dudes. So you roll in. I guarantee you, even some of the veteran players, they see Taylor, they're happy to see him, and he just has that little spark of life, man. He just does. And it's not just because of his personality. It's because he's he's excited and he's enthusiastic to be back, and that's what you need on a Sunday or a Saturday after you've just lost a couple. You're trying to find your footing early in the year. Guy comes in the clubhouse, just kind of shakes everything up, walks in the training room, says what's up to the trainers, walks in to uh, you know the batting cage or whatever it may be. It's just, again, it's nice, man, when you have a buddy coming back. The other thing I mentioned earlier, when he says uh, you know, after the game, he's like, yeah, everyone's checking on me, seeing how I'm doing. A couple things. Number one, that tells you um, the kind of dude he is, right? It tells you the, the kind of personality and what he means to some of these guys, whether they're veterans, young players. But the other thing is, when you are you are on an island, man. I talked to Mitch Hanniger about this. Another another really good episode. If you go back and listen to the Mitch Hanniger episode, but when you're injured, right, especially when you're down at spring training or uh, down at Peoria Sports Complex, you are out of the loop, man. You feel like you're forgotten. You feel like no one's paying attention to what you're doing. You feel like you're on an island. It's really it's a strange place. But if you're constantly getting text messages from teammates or coaches uh, asking up how you're doing, it's just that nice feeling to say, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm being talked about or my presence is felt somehow, as dumb as that sounds. I'm telling you right now. So that's that was good to hear. All right. So that win yesterday was massive for a couple of reasons. Obviously, you, you want to break the, break the losing streak and everything else. But from a player, when you're in the middle of a road trip like they are, you're playing in Toronto. You go back there, and, and all of a sudden, and not this is necessarily always a good thing. It brings back the memories of the last time you were there. We all know last time they were in Toronto, it was popping champagne, epic comeback, etc. First game you lose, second game you lose. Now you have some new personnel in the clubhouse: uh, Tioscar Hernandez, Colton Wong, um, 
you know, AJ Pollock and so on and so forth. But you have that feeling of, oh, last year, last year. And I keep talking about this. You can't anchor too much on last year. I've talked about this a lot. So then all of a sudden you lose the first two games and you're losing it in ways that last year used to win. We all know about the one-run games, right? They've lost nine already, nine one-run games. So you start to think to yourself, man, things are different to last year. Last year, wild card, we didn't win the division, but we got in via wild card, broke the drought, et cetera. Now all of a sudden you have all these new challenges because you're not winning the games like you used to. <clears throat> so yesterday's win when you are about to get on a five-and-a-half-hour flight, now talk about when these conversations kick off, whether it be on the bus, hotel, um, everyone's, no, no one's got their family around. Some guys may, but you don't have, you don't have kids to go home to or whatever. So that night, you're going to grab dinner with your buddies, you know, two or three teammates. That's when those conversations, those bad conversations, and they're not all bad, but when you're losing or you're playing below expectations, that's when you start – pointing fingers at this issue or that issue, it always starts to spiral on the road. So if you lost that game yesterday, you get on the bus, no one's really talking, then you get on the plane and you know, hour in, you might be watching a movie or something, but then you walk up the, the aisle and you go talk to so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. And that's when, the, that's when the talk starts. And it's not necessarily good when you're losing. I've been there before, man. You're sitting on the plane, you feel like you're letting the team down. Or one of your buddies is letting the team down. You're trying to sort of console him, but there's always that oh, man. Like, you know, I, I feel like oh, we, you know this is different because last year we did this or blah 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 blah. Whatever the the cancerous conversation happens, so they win that game, and it's kind of just that quick reminder that hey, we're all good. The way they won it, the way they came back, the way they won in in late innings, just like they did last year. So that was huge. Plus, you're going into play the Oakland A's. If you, and I've seen this a bunch too recently and as a player. You can never go into any series, not like they're just rolling in like, you know, hey, we're, we're all good. We're just going to smash this team. But you can't go into any series just taking it for granted. Now, if you lose yesterday, you're going, the pressure's on to be like, you know, we have to take three, from th three of three from Oakland, okay? But now you walk into it, you kind of have that as a team, you kind of have that, okay, we're okay sort of feel. Then you go into Oakland, and this is important because it happens all the time. As a fan, a media member, as a player, coach, you have to go into that series, whether you're a um, you know, uh, Logan Gilbert, right, trying to get a little bit back on track. He's starting to slip a little bit, especially with runners on base if you look at the numbers. But a Logan Gilbert, you don't walk into this and go, I, mean, I have to go seven shutout because this is the Oakland days. I should dominate this team. No, no, no. Take baby steps and say to yourself, I need to land this breaking ball to right is better. I need to be better with runners on base. What is it in that bullpen session leading into that? If you're a hitter, okay, now I'm facing a dude who is not going to sequence me the same. He's not going to have that those two nasty uh, out pitches or that Kevin uh, that Gosman um, split finger. I've got someone I can handle. Let's get that swing right. Let's try and let's see if he falls into patterns. Let's let's try and guess right. Let's read off the scouting report. Blah blah blah. The little things, man. If you take two or three, or you, you know what, even if you take one or three, but you are making those slight little, those little mechanical cue, those lean, you're leaning on those mechanical cues, or that one little trigger or something that gets you right. Because man, there is a lot of baseball left. I'm telling you right now. The other thing leading into this series, and yesterday too, they won without Julio. Julio Rodriguez was just about to start heating up. If you watch the pregame, I think it was on uh, Saturday. I did a breakdown on Julio Rodriguez 
And I think you can check it out on Instagram too. I'll post it on Instagram. But um, Julio was getting pitched in a ton. All of a sudden, he just wasn't staying inside that ball. He was getting jammed, just making weak contact. That started to change. You cannot fall into patterns with, with a guy like Julio Rodriguez. So he was about to break out of it. Then he tweaks his back. Now, we'll say this. You cannot – you might just say to yourself, oh, I'll tweak my back mowing the lawn. Hey, me too. Trust me. I get it. But with a guy like that, a young player, as, as uh, tough it has, has been last couple last couple of days trying to get in roll into form with this team, you have to slow play this, man. You do. If you have to take those extra days off, you have to wait till he says, yeah, I'm good. Then you have to test him a little bit, then put him back in the lineup. You cannot have a situation where that back turns into – not saying he's going to break his back by any means, but if that then turns into a hamstring or it turns into something further up the chain or he throws a ball at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, tries to let it eat, or and he's like, yeah, I'm good, and then the game where his arm's cold because he's been standing at the center field not making a throw, then he tries to throw because his back's tight and it affects his arm. So all these things up the chain, you just have to slow play. I know you don't want to hear that. You want him back in the lineup because he's good. He's not on the I.L., but the same thing, man, with Andres Munoz. They are going to slow play Andres Munoz. That is for sure. And they need to do the same with Julio, just that extra day or two. All right. What about JP Crawford? Now, I posted a clip of this on, on the gram as well. On If you go, if you follow us, uh, the Top Step podcast. JP Crawford. Now, first of all, the, the big O2, uh, two-strike hit yesterday. Huge, man. Garcia was nasty, and he was pumping nothing but 100 at the top of the strike zone. And for some reason, he hangs a slider. Now, you might sit there and say, oh, well, he hung a slider. That's why he got to it. you got to understand something. When you're in two strikes here, you're in emergency swing mode. But those hanging sliders, man, you 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 tend to hesitate to, towards that pitch. You see that pitch up, his eyes lit up, and whack, just took nothing off that swing, crushed the ball into right field. He is so good. Um, he is so good with uh, with his third and fourth at bat. It's ridiculous. He's so good late in games. JP, man, offensively, I just I, I like what he does. We talk, and I'm going to get into some of the issues we're seeing this year compared to last year. But in I'm giving you a hint right here. But plate discipline and the strikeout numbers and stuff like that. He is so good when it counts, man. Some of those at bat, he'll turn a a, a good pitcher who's who's in, in the bullpen. He'll turn a six or seven pitch at bat into that walk, get things going. Big hit comes after that. Got to get him going. Put him back in that nine hole. When Julio comes back, it's just that nice little roster turnover. But what about, dude, the defense, man? I love seeing this. He had a down year defensively last year. He was dealing with some injuries. His lateral movement was not very good. He was still making plays, but there just wasn't that same sort of confidence that he has now where he'll get that backhand, that pick to his right and come up transfer whack and just not even set his feet and go that has to do with a couple things number one you're healthy uh, so you can get to that ball right you're not pushing that extra step we're not trying to cheat to that ball and number two confidence man when 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 you feel right now again he doesn't have good arm strength either by the way when you feel right defensively and you feel sound out there and every time you 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 are trying to set up defensively and you in you in your head you sort of you have that sort of preset in your head, okay, if it goes this way, if it goes that way, now I should shade this way to the left a little bit. You still have that element of doubt, like, man, I just can't get to that ball because, you know, my ankle or my toe or, or my hip or whatever it may be, I just can't get there. So all of a sudden you try and overdo. Or what happens is you get in that hole and you feel like you're slow to that ball. You come up, you do the glove pump, or you wait a second, or even you hold onto the ball. 
And we're not seeing that this year with him. He is so sound out there where he can get to that. And again, by the way, the pick was ridiculous, man. That ball just hopped off that carpet. Woo! Came up on him. It was sick. I get it. But the throw, the pick up, the transfer and throw, money. And you hear Perry Hill talk about he. you want to bounce throw it. If you haven't set your feet, this is how Perry Hill teaches, one of the, the guru, the, the man. He, he talked about this. If you want, if you haven't got your feet set, bounce that ball, especially on turf too. And then obviously Ty France made the nice play over the other side. All right, so we have that. Now, there's been a lot of talk and we're getting to the the plate discipline and, and, and the middle of the lineup, et cetera. A lot of talk about, oh, they didn't spend money this offseason on uh, offense, right? Now, if you go back, I was co-hosting on um, Seattle Sports Radio. I was co-hosting a show and Shannon Dre was in there as well with Bob Stelton. And I said... Believe it or not, even though they had some depth with Chris Flexen, I said they got to go out and get another starting pitcher. And everyone looked at me like I had two heads. Now, the reason I said that is because, first, a couple of reasons. Number one, when you got Luis Castillo and um, you bring bring him in after the trade, first of all, how, you remember how good the, the, the rotation was when he came in, right? For a couple of reasons. It, it just it pushes everyone down a, a slot, right? So all of a sudden, you know, Chris Flexen, obviously, unfortunately for him, got pushed out to the bullpen. It just made the, the, the rotation better. There were some arms out there who you could have gotten that one-year deal for a couple of reasons. Not that they're going to be Luis Castillo level, but a couple of reasons. You can put him in AAA. Um, they're a one-year, low risk as far as years go. You can overpay him or whatever if you want. You can put him in the bullpen. It, cr- it creates depth. It creates competition as well. And now we're seeing it. You've got Chris Flexen didn't perform. Robbie Ray's now out for the season, which is a huge bummer. Now you're stretched depth-wise. Uh, Bryce Miller's struggling a little bit in Double A. You can't rely on him, especially in the month of April. You've got to let these guys figure their things out, whatever they're working on, whatever that development aspect is, into the month of July. Your depth is stretched, and I see it, right? Now, as for the offensive side of things, Bringing in a DH, you know the Mariners the way they want to build things. They want to have that versatility defensively, defensive versatility, and shuffle guys in and out regardless if they're DH and or playing in the field. I will say this: just that one extra back, kind of like that Carlos Santana in the middle of the year who who got claimed off waivers, would make a little bit of a difference. I do admit that. I really do. I think there's going to be that waiver claim out there or that sneaky little trade in the middle of the year, or maybe in a month that says, "Hey, listen, we need a little bit more thump in the middle of the lineup." Um, because a couple of reasons. Number one, obviously the, the home run threat. So you can't, so, you know, if a couple of guys are swinging and missing a ton, which they are, Cal Raleigh and Teoscar Hernandez and Gino Suarez are in the bottom 15 players on strikeout rate. You still have that presence where they have power and they have plate discipline, which leads me to my next point. The plate discipline just has not been the same as last year. This team was built, the offense was built on plate discipline. We're not seeing it this year. And from a team aspect, you, from a player aspect, you're like, man, we just don't quite have that same at-bat as we do in the middle of the game when the starting pitch is on the ropes or whatever it may be, and all of a sudden we're letting them get through, getting them off the hook like we saw last year or that bullpen arm. We've seen it a couple times, I will say, back in the homestand, we saw a couple times where that bullpen has been on the ropes. We saw it yesterday as well. But there's just not that same grinding at bats. You heard Scott Service talk about that grinding at bat. The strikeout numbers are really high as well. They're striking out a ton, um, which leads me to this point. 
this is a new team. There's no new personnel, right? Colton Wong is obviously struggling, struggling, struggling. Okay. They have new players, right, who may not be quite bought into this system just yet. Tioscar Hernandez, same thing. New player may not be quite bought into the way we go about whether it be that one little scouting report or trusting it before the game. I'm not saying the scouting report's bad, but just going about differing to what they may have done in years past, especially a guy like Colton Wong. He offensively had a good year last year. He wants to try and um, mimic the, the approach he has, and then you see some bad swings. But it's been getting better, I will say. There's been, there's been some, some better appearance, played appearances. But with that being said, you can't, as a team, I'm not saying they are, or as a fan, you can't sit there and say, oh, man, hasn't been the same plate discipline. They've been striking out. You know what? If that's what the team identity is, where it says big strikeout numbers, but all of a sudden they can drive a ball or they want it. You have to have a plan B. I say this all the time. If you lose uh, this pitcher or, or the way the bullpen structured, and this is kind of the nice thing, it's very interchangeable because there isn't a set closer or setup guy really. You have to be um, malleable where you can come up with a plan B. So this offense, you've got to come up with some sort of plan B besides leaning on plate discipline because it just ain't there right now. I don't know what it is if they've just faced a good run of bullpens or starting pitching or whatever it may be. But that, like I said, the, the, the discipline just is not there this year whatsoever. All right, let's talk about the team meeting, okay? Now, I want to talk from a player's perspective. I've had some, some classic team meetings. There's some good and bad. This is what goes on. It all depends on the manager. Now, Scott Service said there's one person talking in this team meeting. Guess who it was, right? Because I've had some people say, oh, was it a player? Was it a, uh, you know, was it Marco? Was it, it was Scott Service. He was the one talking. And what that means is when he says there's just one person talking, he wants to go in, he wants to address his team, look him in the eye, address how he feels about certain things. It's not always bad. It's not always like a, a blow-up session. And I'm going to get to a couple of my favorites here in a second. But it's, um, it's more about him just addressing the team. All right, that's it, fellas. They process it, off they go. It's not this situation where, you know, a um, uh, um, you know Ty France steps up and says something, and then Cal Rawley talks about the pitches. No, no, no. This is just a we have to pump the brakes for a second. This is what I'm seeing, and again, you do this a lot of the times on the road because the conversations start during batting practice on the plane. All those little things you want to you want to get in front of your team and just kind of express yourself because communication is massive. All right, so couple team meetings that really stand out to me. Okay, so there's been a couple classics. First of all, let, let's go back. We're going to I'm going to I'm going to dive into a few of these. All right, so I just get called up to the well, no, I get called up to the big leagues. I'm there for a weekend. Get sent down. Come back up. Right now, I make my debut, my first game. The, so this is on a on a weekend. We had Mike Hargrove um, was the manager at the time. And I remember it, it was where he just left town. I'm trying to remember what day he got back. But anyway, he was back. <clears throat> and I pitched on a Friday. And then we're playing the Red Sox. It was a it was a Tuesday. I believe it was a Tuesday. And he's like, oh, we're having a team meeting. I'm like, man, this is like my first like full-on team meeting in the big leagues where I'm sitting there. Now, mind you, in 2007 compared to 2023, when you're a rookie, you keep your mouth shut. You sit in your locker. You wait for everyone else to eat. You wait to get on the bus. You wait to get on the plane, blah, 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 blah. So here I am sitting in my locker. I'm just like a couple of days into the big leagues. And Mike Hargrave calls his team meeting. No one really quite knows what, what it's about because we're playing pretty well, right? That's, this is the series after Griffey came back. And I think, I think we beat him a couple of times. I can't remember. But anyway, 
we're all sitting there going, what's all this about? Usually you kind of have a you know, a bit of a heads up as to what, is it, what it's all about if you're struggling, playing bad, whatever. And we're real good that year. So in he comes and he's like, oh, yeah, everyone just gather around. Then you just hear this, um, guys, I, I need to talk to you. And then he starts like weeping and he starts breaking into tears. This is Mike Hargrave, a dude who I watched like the mid-90s, like take the Cleveland Indians, now the Cleveland Guardians, to the World Series and everything else. And I'm sitting there like, I'm, and by the way, this is the awkward part because he's in the middle of the clubhouse. I'm like midway down the clubhouse. So I'm like, like a good five or six feet from him. And I'm just sitting in my locker going, uh, what? So sure enough, he just starts crying. And he starts crying. And he's like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> Guys, I'm done. I'm done. And we're like, what's he talking about? Well, cut a long story short, basically what he was doing, he was retiring. He was quitting. He was quitting. He was done. He went back to like his daughter's wedding back home, came back and had this epiphany saying, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to go home. So dead set, dude, I'm a couple days into the big leagues. And then my manager, Mike Hargrove, who again, yeah, and reporters are asking me days after like, oh, what do you think of this? I'm like, I don't know. I'll get no comment for you. The dude just flat out quit. And he left the clubhouse and I'm looking around. And I'm like trying to make eye contact with like some of the older dudes. And they're looking around going, all right. It was the most bizarre thing. First ever team meeting. That was Mike Hargrove. Now the craziest team meeting or the one that's like, <laughs> all right, we had John McLaren. He took, he, um, he took over, he took over for Hargrove actually. 2008, he, he brought in his whole new coaching staff. I'm talking Mel Stottlemyre. You had all, all these, all these like kind of like uh, quote unquote gurus from other teams. It was like this all-star staff he had, but, um, but McLaren, he was he was struggling a little bit to. He was always that bench coach for Lou Pinella, but he was really. This is his first time being the the dude, right? And the team was sucking. Was, if you go back and if you're my age, you remember 2008. It was bad, right? So here we are, and terrible. Bill Bavese is the GM. It got to a point. It got to a rock bottom point early in the year, and we basically he went in to do a press conference, right? And uh, no, take that back. A couple of days prior to that, we have a closed door meeting and he just loses on us, on us, blows up, right? And uh, I actually skipped one. I'm going to go back to 2007 because they're all, they're all flooding back in my head. So I got some funny ones. So he's, he's just let us, let us have it, right? A couple of days later, we go in the clubhouse. We get swept, I believe, I think from the Nationals or something crazy. So we get swept and the Nationals were bad at this point. We come in, there's no towels to, to shower up. There's no towels or anything. And all the doors are closed. So like the door that goes into the into the bathroom's closed. The door that goes out into the kitchen's closed. And we're like, what is going on? So we all sit in our locker room. And then the clubby comes and puts the TV on. Like, what are we watching? Well, he's in the press conference room. And you can find this online too. And he's just dropping F-bomb after F-bomb. I'm tired of it. I'm sick and tired of it. Blah, blah, blah. And we're like sitting there. So the whole point was we had to sit there and watch him talk to the media about how bad we were. It was just a straight getting chewed out, but weren't getting chewed out because he's in another room. And then it stopped. The doors opened. There was a big stack of towels. And then guys were like, all right, go go shower up. It was kind of, it, it was a really strange meeting because it was brutal because you felt like absolute rubbish, right? But at the same time, it was just kind of like, just wasn't very impactful. I'm not going to lie. Now, going back to 2007, we were, and if you remember this, we were at the top. It was us and the um, Angels at the top of the division. Angels were coming to town and they wanted to call it a Mariners Palooza where everyone wore blue. So the, the Angels come to town we, and we had a really good team. 
we're like, okay, we have to we have to beat him this series. It was very, really intense. The place was packed. It was a weekend series. Everyone was wearing blue. I remember it. And sure enough, um, we get swept. <laughs> so we get swept by the Angels. We we then go on the road. Uh, and we can't win a freaking game. We then go to New York, right? And, we're, and, and um, Chen Ming Wang was a Taiwanese pitcher who was dealing. I think he won like 19 games that year or something. So the, he, we're, we're facing him the second game. We lost the first game that we should have won. The second game, we're facing him. McLaren comes in before the game. And he's like, I don't know who this effing guy is. We're going to shove it up his ass and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there like, you know, my arms fired like this. I'm thinking to myself, uh, the dude's won like 19 games. You don't know who he is. Now, mind you, usually the Yankees, like, you know, Roger Clemens was on that team. Mike Messina was on that team. You know, all these Jeter, A-Rod, Giambi, blah, blah, blah. So I think his point was kind of saying like, yeah, we're playing the Yankees, but he's not a big Yankee name because he's – yeah, so I'm sitting there, like I'm looking around, like, uh, bro, this guy is one of the best pitchers on the planet right now. I don't know who this dude is, but we better line him up. <laughs> so we go out and just get she shoves, like, just calmly, slowly but surely, calmly, just shoves up. It was bad. So there was that. Um, there's another instance where he wanted um, uh, Orhei Campillo to throw at throw at a hitter as well. Just a mess, right? Then we had Jim Rugelman. Now I love Riggs. Riggs is the man, dude. Uh, I love McLaren, John McLaren too. McLaren's the man too. I just remember there was some bad. He got he got served a really uh, poor hand of a team. It was just a bad chemistry. You want to talk about some bad road trips, plane rides, etc. Then we had Jim Riggleman. Now Riggleman doesn't get enough credit, man. He he got McLaren got fired and then Riggleman took over. This is 2008. I love Riggs. He gave me my first chance to start. Uh, he really believed in me. Where I, I didn't feel like with with McLaren, um, I wasn't getting those close games in the bullpen, and we had Mel Stoudemire and and Riggleman, um, and they were both saying, "Hey, look, you need to start, man. You need to be a starting pitcher." So he really gave me a good, a really good chance. I don't know if you remember when Felix Hernandez um, hurt his ankles. Um, I think it was sliding into home plate against the Mets after he hit the he hit the grand slam. I ended up coming in for that game. Well, later on that road trip. There's a couple hints from them that I was going to start. So I took Felix's spot in the rotation. Don't throw up. I know you're probably thinking, you took Felix's spot in the rotation. Well, yeah, I did. So I, that's when I made my first start. So big shout out to Riggs. I loved him. But he wanted to have, by the way, a team meeting every day. So he got, all right, guys, gather in. I loved it, man. I'm from Australia. So like when you play sport, it's all about that. Every game's like super intense. You, you meet up after the game. You give like little awards out and stuff like that. But he wanted to every – now, remember, we're playing every day, right? You've got some dudes who are just like, oh, man, I, 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 I need to get out of here, like whatever it is because I'm struggling. So every day. And you just go around the clubhouse and just give his thoughts. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. I loved it. Guys were getting mad about it the whole bit. But I, th- I thought it was super cool. I loved it. So regarding the team meeting, now, if you are going to call a team together, you have to have their attention slash respect. You cannot go into it where you're just going to do a whole bunch of rah-rah stuff. If you're going to do the rah-rah, like the chewing players out, you better be a badass. Lou Pinella could do that because he is a bad dude in, in a good way, right? He had everyone's respect. I mean, he was just letting it eat in the kitchen. Like I'm talking, he'd just clear off the, all the food. He was so angry. I, the, the stories I used to, I never had Lupinellism, but that was his his personality. If your personality is a little bit more so even keel or you're not that guy or you don't quite garner that respect to be a badass, don't go in there and blow up. I don't think Scott Service is really ever doing that, but you have to look your dudes in the eye 
and be on the same page. And you have to come from it, come at it from a player's perspective where you understand how friggin' hard this game is. And you have that's how you garner that respect. But the team meetings are massive. I was a big fan of team meetings. If they're done the right way, I think Saturday was a was a really, really good time to have that team meeting. All right. Let's get into <laughs> let's get into some of the top top performers. Now, Easton McGowan, now he hit the IL. Look, this might be a little strategical move, move I don't know. But look, Easton McGee, mate, welcome to the Mariners. Are you kidding me? You've pitched once a little stint with the um with the Tampa Bay Rays against the Astros to three innings. Bro, you come out to it. We didn't even know what to expect. I mean, I was still trying to figure out, you know, is this guy going three innings? Is, he, is it is like a bullpen day? Who's <laughs> a no-hitter in Toronto, by the way, into the seventh inning? It was ridiculous. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, but it's because they had no video on him. I do, I don't care. Like, I got that on Twitter. I was like, oh, wow. Easton McGill. Everyone's like, yeah, but they don't have any video on him. Oh, really? So he went, nearly went seven no-hitter hit innings because they didn't have a good scouting report on him. Let me tell you something. When you go into a game like that, right, you have to be dialed in. Now, when when a team doesn't have video on you, sure, you might be able to flip, flip over a pitch or something like that. But when you face them second time, third time, and when you're throwing low 90s, right, if you're throwing 100, no video, and they don't know that you throw a split, fair enough. When you're throwing low 90s and they can figure out real quick, the conversation goes back to the to the dugout saying, yeah, he's got tons of sink on his ball or he throws this slide or whatever. When you are dotting up on the black, that two-seamer in on hands, and then you've got Bo Bichette walking in after that swing, guess what happens? That ripple effect goes down the dugout saying, man, this is pretty filthy. doesn't matter if it's a well-known dude or, or a dude you've never seen before. He absolutely dominated. It was awesome. He'd get in some rough counts and then just go straight sink of black in on the hands to righties. Filthy. Just nothing but bowling ball onto the onto that carpet out there at Toronto. It was so fun to watch, man. I'm sitting there going, come on, man. You got this. You got this. And again, um, when you roll into that situation, now he knew a couple of days before. You go into it with nothing to lose. The hard part is now he's kind of got to replicate it. Not that anyone's expecting to throw a no-hitter, but now you've got to be like, I'm capable of this. Now I've got to play up to my capabilities, not something where you go three or four, you throw a boatload of pitches, and then you can improve on that because that's kind of your ceiling because no one really knows what your ceiling is in the big leagues, and especially because you're not some big, highly touted prospect. So there's that, right? Easton McGee, he was one of my performance. JP Crawford, the big hit yesterday, and the defense. The defense has been so good. He's my number two. And then Cal Rawley, the big home runs. Cal Rawley's going to hit him in bunches, man. He's going to strike out a lot, apparently, this year. He's going to strike out a bunch. Like I said, 33% strikeout rate going into yesterday. But uh, when he gets going, and remember, this time last year, they were sending him down to AAA to figure it out offensively. If he can get going and just kind of keep that consistent where bunches, you know, 0 for 8, bunch, 0 for 8, man, he's going to be good. He's going to be like, as far as home runs are concerned and power numbers, he's going to be up there with, with catches across the league for sure, plus what he does behind the plate. Big shout-out to Paul Seawold. Last time he was in Toronto, he struggled in the playoffs. When you go back to a place that you've struggled, especially under that, you know, in that atmosphere, in that environment, being in the playoffs, letting your team down, how he probably feels, it can be tough, maybe hard to sever that tie to last year. And he did it so well. Same lineup, same dudes. He looked really good in Toronto. And all that was sort of washed away when you get out there. I've been there before where you go to a place like, oh, I sucked here. And then you get that first hitter out or that you nail that slider or whatever it is. Like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. All right, let's go. 
Um, you know, Matt Brash, on the other hand, he loves pitching in Toronto, apparently. But they're my top performers. All right. Um, I'm going to get to some questions. Uh, I saw some questions. I know I was late on this. I apologize. But let me just pull up some questions here all over Twitter. Now, again, if you feel like you want to write a question to me, you can do it via um, uh, Twitter is easy, Instagram, or even on this. I'm going to leave, there's a link here if you're listening. Uh, I believe on Spotify, you can you can send the link. All right. Um, okay, so this is from Brit. Uh, what's up at Brittany Ann 08? I'll just read a couple of these guys. I'll get, I'll get to a few of them. I really need some uh, someone to explain to me. Well, I'll, I'll try. Um, why so many runners are getting picked off. It is a pitch clock thing. I just lack the discipline. Don't normally see that uh, from, a, uh, from this team. Uh, it's driving me nuts. Yeah, fair enough. Britt, good point. Uh, big couple, Gino Suarez and then Tom Murphy. The one that Tom Murphy got picked off, that would drive you nuts because that when you're up against Gorsman, you need to have traffic, A, to add some stress to the pitches, um, and then B, to that's the only option you're going to – that's the only opportunity you have against a guy like that. Can't be getting picked off. That was just a really, really well-executed move. Uh, ridiculous, I will say. And he was just napping. That's just – I won't call it discipline – but uh, what Tom Murphy, you've got a hitter and Julio Rodriguez was up at the time. And so he wanted to get that extra step. He knows that a base hit and a hard hit base hit, which Julio usually does, he wanted to get that extra step. He was getting way too far off that bag. Blue Jays picked up on it and said, yep, turn around, get him. And they did. So that was Tom Murphy trying to push a little bit, knowing that base hit, if I have to score here and have the best speed, I've got to get those extra steps. You could see him getting pushed off a little bit too much. Um, all right, this is from Soto Mojo at Soto Mojo FS. What's up, guys? <clears throat> we interact quite a bit on Twitter, I believe. Um, thanks for the question. Hyphen, could you talk about rust construction? Seems like pinch hitting uh, TLS two days a week. Um, Tommy Lestella is a waste of a spot. Then there are guys who are making, who are raking into Tacoma. Yeah, there are a couple of dudes raking into Tacoma, which is good to see. Like, uh, here, let's let, let's have a quick glance. I noticed uh, Kate, I know Cade Marlowe's raking. Um, who was the big fella hitting a bunch of bunch of bombs? Was it um, Voigt? Maybe I'm trying to remember. But yeah, no, someone was crushing the ball um, down in Tacoma. That is for sure. Um, there is some guys raking. That is for sure. Now you got to remember too when you talk about roster construction. That's a really good point. Um, I'm just going to pull up these stats here, see who I was referring to because I don't want to. Because I know you're probably screaming at you. You screaming at me. Oh, sorry. What did I say? Luke Ford. <laughs> sorry, God, I meant I meant to say Mike Ford. I always get those two mixed up for some reason. Yeah, Mike Ford. Yeah, dude, he's nine bombs, thirty-nine ribbies on base, four forty. Hey, he could be up here soon for sure. Look at him, Mike Ford. The the issue is here. Needed place for Mike Ford to play, right? He can play on the corners, first base, DH, not so much third base, that's for sure. The Mariners love that um, defensive versatility and guys they can they can sub in and out, give guys days off, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Brian O'Keefe, uh, the catcher where there's no space for a catcher. Just looking right now. Um, you've got Cade Marlowe. Where is Cade, big Cade Marlowe at? I know he was here somewhere. I was, looked at his numbers yesterday. Yeah, he's hitting 347. Again, playing the outfield. Sure, you can rotate him in. I agree, man. Tommy LaStella, I don't know what's going on there. A lot of the roster construction, and this could be an issue with uh, Easter McGee too. Now, you can't... Um, and so I think someone asked me about the DFA process too. I'll get into that. But basically, <clears throat> as they stand today or tomorrow, whatever, you will see moves. The next week or so, you're going to see quite a few moves. You might see a uh, Mike Ford as well. Um, there's going to be quite a few moves. The reason why is because they're, they're slammed at this 40-man roster. You can't afford if you option um, a uh, option. East, they, 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 Taylor Trammell came back up. 
you, you didn't have anyone to DFA, so that's why I'm kind of thinking maybe Easton McGee. Uh, I'm not again. I I don't know. Maybe it's uh, uh, IL stint is forearms not that bad, but it's sore, so they're going to try and skip him because of the extra days off, etc. Um, but that's what, one of the reasons why I agree with you, man. I talked about this earlier with the DH thing. Tommy Lestella, he's struggling. If he doesn't pick it up soon, he's gone. I, I'm going to give him another week or so. That leash is very short. But Mike Ford, you, you, the way they're constructed, they've got to have a place for him to play, right? Yeah, sure, he can DH. I get it, right? But then it takes away some of the versatility. It takes away the days off. Then all of a sudden you have a situation where, you know, left field becomes a little bit of a concern because AJ Pollock and, and Kelnick and, and what have you, if, again, not saying Kelnick's raking, I get it, um, but it does create a little bit different dynamic with what they try and do with the defense and everything else. Um, and then Cade Marlowe, that's just an, <clears throat> it's another outfield. You will see those guys. That will come up, I guarantee. You. That's a great point, though. Soto Mojo, thanks for the uh, reaching out. Uh, here we go, Seattle Wayne. Um, yeah, this is one. I'm just scrolling down now. <clears throat> Seattle Wayne. What's up, Seattle Wayne? This is my second question I've answered for you. Would you mind explaining the DFA process, please? Thank you. Okay, so this is how it works. If you are a Easton, let's say Easton McGee, for example, fresh in the big leagues, has options, right? If you have a player that has options, you get three of them, three years worth of options. You can option them back and forth to the big leagues in that year as many times as you like. After that third year, you are out of options. It means you have to be designated for assignment. What that means is this. It's a 10-day process. The first... Um, seven days, you get an opportunity. You get up to seven days, by the way, before you want to try and pass them through waivers. So if you designate a player, you've got seven days to go talk to other teams about trying to get a trade, a trade done, right? So you, you're trying to put it like this. I'm giving that player a quote-unquote assignment for seven days, right? They're designated for that assignment. If in seven days you cannot figure out a trade partner, then again, it doesn't have to be seven days. Then you have to put them on waivers. Waivers essentially last for three days. When they're on waivers, this is how it works. <clears throat> the team with the I, – I don't know if they switched this now. I, I'm going to get caught up here. But the team with the worst record goes gets the first pick. They can pass, pass, pass all the way to the 30th team. So if you're on waivers, you just have to pay the, the team like you know equivalent to five bucks for the team. And then you get that player, but you have to find a roster spot for them. That's what designated for assignment compared to – being option, you only had three options. Once that, uh, once that's up, you have to be designated for assignment. So um, <clears throat> now, if you have more than three years of service time, you don't have to accept that assignment. In other words, if let's say I'm um, using Easton McGee because he's a rookie, Easton McGee, let's say he was designated for assignment, he clears waivers. He then has to go to AAA with the team. If you have three plus years in the big leagues. You don't have to go to that team. That happened to me, a stupid move in, in 2014. I should have stayed with the D-backs. I opted out. So I, I got designated for assignment, cleared waivers, went to AAA, and I said, I'm going to opt out. I'm going to become a free agent because I had more than three years of service time. Hopefully that explains it. All right, guys. Um, that's it for the questions for today. I'm running a little short on time here, and uh, this has been fun. Let me know if you've got any questions, comments, concerns, anything. Thanks for tuning in. Tell your mates, whether you're in the Northwest or not, Balfour is back on, on Thursday. I need some laughs, man. That's my dude. Him and I are best buddies. We like to have some good laughs. So join us on Thursday from a player's perspective, but from a couple laughs and from obviously from an Australian perspective as well. We've got the Aussie word of the day. All that. Follow us on social media. We're trying to get to 1,000. I know it sounds pathetic, but the top step on Instagram, go follow us. We're trying to get to 1,000 followers. I know it sounds small, but it's that small little milestone. We're trying to grow, grow this puppy so we can turn this show into something much better than what it is and give it to you for free. 
week in and week out. All the best, guys. Go Mariners. They're going to be good. Got Oakland coming up. Um, and we're going to talk, I'll talk about the City Connect jerseys next Thursday with Grant Balfour. All right, guys, this is this is this is it. I'm done. I'll see you later. I'll see you later on this week.